Hello, 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 and welcome to this, the first ever episode of the Energy Flux Interactive Podcast. Energy Flux is a Substack newsletter all about the transition to clean energy sources, paid for entirely by premium members to whom I owe a debt of gratitude for supporting my work as an independent energy writer, journalist and editor. Uh, I'm Seb Kennedy, I'm the host of the podcast, and I would first off like to extend a, a big thank you to the folks that call in for inviting me onto this platform. I'm very excited and a bit nervous to be doing this. I'm a, a writer by trade, and I've only made a few brief appearances in front of the camera or the microphone. Um, normally I'm hidden behind my keyboard, uh, but here I am. Um, I've never hosted a podcast, let alone an interactive one that allows me to field live calls from listeners. So this will be a real learning curve for me as I become familiar with this interesting new platform and how to use it to best effect. It'll probably be a bit rough around the edges to begin with. So I'm grateful for you for taking the time to be here, experience this with me and hopefully participate by calling in and you know, moving the conversation around in interesting and unexpected new directions. Um, I fully anticipate there'll be some technical glitches along the way, so just bear with me. I'm going to spend the most of this first episode introducing myself and Energy Flux to listeners who might not have heard of either. Um, I want to dwell a bit on the philosophy behind the publication and how the podcast sort of fits into that. So uh, let me just begin by saying that I, I hope this will be like the first and last time I talk at really any length about myself. The idea is that I'll be joined by a string of interesting special guests who have much more interesting things to say than I do about the energy transition and the energy news agenda. Um, and that these conversations will form the basis for a sort of dynamic session of cooler questions and interactions and debate. Um, but if you'll indulge me for a few minutes, um, then I'm just gonna give you a brief story, a kind of quick rundown of how and why I came to be here uh, and what you can expect from this podcast. So I've been reporting on the energy industry since the year 2008, when I landed my first job as a junior cub reporter at a publication called Renews, which is an independent renewable energy trade newsletter. It was focused, or it was at the time, very heavily on the, the UK market and principally onshore wind, offshore wind. Um, and I covered various news beats during my seven years there. I documented the, the boom and bust in onshore wind development in England and Wales. Um, I tracked in very granular detail the early efforts to commercialise wave and tidal energy technologies um, in the late sort of noughties and early 2010s. Uh, the, the wave and tidal energy beat was hugely interesting. I'll, I'll never forget the, the various trips I took to the European Marine Energy Centre in Orkney or to the Norwegian Arctic Circle to report on testing programs for prototype tidal turbines. Um, and uh, I was also responsible for the, the Latin American coverage at Reuse for a while, which was 
just massive fun. I got to attend wind energy conferences in Mexico, Panama, Rio de Janeiro, um, met some really interesting people along the way, people who are financing and developing renewables projects, trying to kickstart domestic manufacturing value chains in virgin markets with huge potential like Brazil and Chile and Mexico. Um, so, so that was really my introduction to energy, the energy industry, energy reporting, energy writing. Um, and I left that position in 2015 to sort of broaden my horizons beyond renewables, beyond renewable energy projects and renewable technologies, which at that time and to an extent really still are just a small subset of the overall global energy matrix. Um, so I spent a period freelancing for various energy industry publications. This included a stint at energy consultancy Cornwall Insight, where I wrote about the deregulation of gas and the electricity markets around the world for their in-house publication, Energy Spectrum. And this was my first introduction to writing sort of more analytical copy for an energy consultancy. And I found that really enjoyable and in a way like a lot more satisfying intellectually than the sort of the hard news journalism for trade press, which is all I'd done until then. And I, I found kind of trade press news journalism tends to be focused on sort of landing big exclusive stories and getting the scoop. And I, I was good at that. I was pretty good at landing scoops, but I'll admit it's a really tough gig to keep sort of grinding away at the news beats, working your contacts, earning the trust of industry sources and meeting very tight news copy deadlines. It's, it's really exhausting. And um, I have a massive amount of respect for, for like hard news journalists who are there sort of day in, day out, reeling in at the coal face of news, all the interesting stories that, that then kind of set the agenda um, for, uh, for that day or that week. Um, uh, so anyway, yeah, so I, I did some freelancing for a bit, but I, I left the kind of gig economy lifestyle in early 2017 and uh, went back into full-time employment. Um, and that was shortly after my first child was born, and I thought I should probably start taking life a bit more seriously. Um, so I went and became the editor of Gas Matters Today, which is a daily news publication for the natural gas industry, which is published by an energy consultancy called Gas Strategies. <clears throat> That was a, a very valuable opportunity to learn all about natural gas and LNG, liquefied natural gas, that is. Um, the, so I, I, I went on a, a quite steep learning curve all about liquefaction technologies, the economics of natural gas infrastructure, uh, dynamics of uh, LNG trade, global gas markets, how LNG projects are developed and financed. And um, I, I think all of this knowledge about gas is starting to take on new meaning as hydrogen becomes the new buzzword in the energy transition. And we're seeing oil companies seeking to leverage their expertise in gas liquefaction to promote the concept of liquefied hydrogen. I write a lot about hydrogen in Energy Flux newsletter. So I expect it will come up pretty frequently here on the podcast as well. Uh, until I entered the, um, the, the world of gas, I'd uh, written mostly about renewable power generation and domestic electricity markets, 
which by their nature are quite localized, um, albeit with a bit of sort of cross-border trade of electricity. So writing about globally traded commodities such as LNG and crude oil, which is of course still the primary benchmark for natural gas pricing, um, you know, writing about these, these, these commodities gave me insight into the messy and fascinating world of energy geopolitics. Um, which doesn't come up so much in electricity because electricity is not so uh, it can't be traded over such long distances so you don't tend to get so much sort of um, international negotiations around it geopolitics is is an aspect of the energy transition that i am like very keenly interested in uh, I, I write a lot about how decarbonization policies are redrawing the political map um, straining old strategic alliances that were built on the trade of carbon intensive fuels and how new ones might potentially be forged based on cleaner energy sources. But um, after four years of filling my head with gas news, news all about natural gas, um, and at that time with the mainstream debates around climate building to something of a crescendo at the time, I decided it was right to branch out and set up my own publication, Energy Flux, to write more broadly about the energy transition in the round. Um, so Energy Flux started in the summer of 2020 as a free blog, and it gave me an outlet to explore some of the ideas and narratives that were a bit more out there which wouldn't fit within the, the kind of necessarily narrow editorial remit of a daily news publication for the gas and LNG industry. And um, of course, this was at the height of the pandemic as well, when the first wave of lockdown had pushed the world onto this strange new trajectory that we're still coming to terms with. Um, the, the price of oil had briefly turned negative in the US and all manner of extreme and unprecedented things were happening in every conceivable market and industry out there as we all went into lockdown. And I, I felt that there was just more to say about what we were living through than could be in, expressed in 600 word pieces about that day's goings on in the world of gas. Now. Um, so when I, I started kind of writing in this new outlet, this completely free, liberated outlet, Energy Flux, um, that, in, in a voice that was kind of fairly critical towards oil and gas companies. Um, but over time, I've become a bit more circumspect, circumspect in, in the, the angles that I take. Um, so at the beginning, I, I was zooming in on things like the sort of shocking amounts of natural gas flaring that was going on in the US shale patch, for example, or about some big defensive energy mergers and acquisitions um, that were forged, you know, the kind of real nadir of the energy market in, in mid-2020. So, for example, Chevron's takeover of Noble Energy. And I looked at why deals like this would only delay the kind of inevitable decline of, of, um, of, of the kind of the whole oil sector that, that supported them. Um, how there was a real need for these companies to diversify beyond their, their core core base. Um, but 
Uh, and, and also looked at things like European oil majors, so like BP really struggling for relevance amid what at the time was a combination of you know, absolutely cratering oil demand. Uh, and there was at the same time this kind of really roaring cacophony around climate change and the need to decarbonize, um, which hasn't gone away. But, but what, one thing that has kind of changed a lot is this idea of oil demand tanking and, and peaking. And I think that um, in 2020, um, BP even said that global oil demand might have peaked in 2019. And that made a lot of sense at the time because, you know, we saw, you know, like double digit percentages being knocked off um, the, the amount of oil being consumed globally every day. Um, and uh, of course, what we've seen since in the market is that oil demand has come roaring back um, in a way that maybe not everybody saw coming. Um, and the assertion around the oil demand peaking have, you know, certainly proven to be premature. Like those that were asserted it would it would peak in the near term have, have certainly proved to be premature. And the kind of like the build back better philosophy that we would kind of build back a greener economy that's that's taking a lot longer than I think lots of people really hoped for this idea that the pandemic could be a trigger for for uh, like a kind of greener rebuilding the economy that's that's not quite materialized um, so like corporate strategies based upon the idea of a rapid decline in oil consumption I think they're going to run into some really big challenges um, but at the same time, business as usual really isn't an option either. So uh, climate laggards and, you know, ExxonMobil is the real kind of, um, <laughs> is the real like, anti-poster child, if you like, for, for, for that, that category. They really paid a price from activist investors who have been pushing them to haul their sort of fossilized business models into the 21st century. Um, so I, I think the point here is that the eventual decline um, in oil demand, it's, it, it's going to happen, um, but it's going to happen um, perhaps a bit more slowly than, than lots of people anticipated. But at the same time, it's going to be punctuated by bouts of extreme volatility, and those are going to come in uh, a much more concertinaed fashion. So you're going to see um, like peaks and troughs occurring much more rapidly in the in the oil cycle than than you did previously, but set against the kind of overall trend of finally peaking and then um, plateauing and then slowly kind of uh, waning away demand for oil. Um, but it's it's not going to be like it's not going to be a smooth peak, a smooth plateau, and a smooth decline. It's going to be the complete opposite. Um, it's going to be very, very wild for people who are exposed to oil prices, which is basically everybody, um, because oil drives the modern economy um, more than most people appreciate. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's going to be extremely volatile because um, supply and demand of oil are hard enough to match up, even in the best of times when economies are growing and there isn't this massive wild card of COVID, where, which can see entire industrialized economies shut down every few months when the virus mutates. And um, that was uh, quite a big event in the oil markets last week when we saw the Omicron uh, variant confirmed and how governments responded to that and how oil markets responded to that. So I see 
volatility becoming the watchword for the energy transition. Um, the, the idea of a stable oil market or boring natural gas prices seems almost laughable now with prices going absolutely ballistic, um, but also diverging across uh, across regions. So, you know, you'll see that um, European natural gas prices are extremely bullish uh, this winter, but in the US we've seen them really fall away. Um, and you're going to see a lot more of that, that happening. And that will create opportunities, arbitrage opportunities, um, for a company's place to, uh, to kind of leverage those. Um, and that's the kind of thing I, I, I write quite a lot about in, in Energy Flux is like these, these commercial opportunities that are arising from the volatility too. I think that's a really interesting thing to watch. It's like those kind of nimble companies that can, that can move quickly and take advantage of um, uh, like price discrepancies created by things like, yeah, like energy policy or health policy for that matter. Um, so that's energy flux and the initial reception among readers was pretty positive. Um, after a few months, I decided to take the plunge and I quit my job, uh, a very you know, comfortable, well-paid job at Gas Strategies to focus on commercializing this newsletter full time. I put up the paywall, I think, in March or April of this year and got my head down and I've just been fighting the good fight to, to grow the reader base, to be interesting without being overly sensational and to remain relevant in this very fast moving and very volatile energy market. And I, I wanted to dwell a little bit on how, what this experience is actually like, you know, like striking out on your own um, in very uncertain times really makes you question everything, um, everything that you believe that you stand for. And, and, and that's particularly true when you're in the midst of these kind of utterly extraordinary global events. Um, because when you write within the confines of an existing publication for a well-defined audience, it can be quite easy to get comfortable with the lens through which that publication and that audience views the world. But when you strip away all of those structures and you go it alone, it can be a profoundly soul-searching experience. And I've had to think really carefully about exactly what it is I'm trying to achieve when I sit down and stare at the blank screen to start writing. You start thinking like, why am I doing any of this? So um, th this process of setting myself up as an independent writer made me think very differently about how I approach the energy industry and the energy transition and the people I'm trying to reach within it as well uh, and beyond it, of course. Um, and I quickly realized that um, it, a, an easy way to get noticed and build an audience would be to simply you know, pick a side at one of the extremes of the energy debate you know, like taking, if you take either a pro-renewables or a pro-fossil fuels position, that just plays into the whole echo chamber nature of journalism in the era of social media. And it will earn you lots of followers if you do this. But at the same time, I feel quite uncomfortable about that. And I didn't want to perpetuate the polarization that's making honest and frank dialogue around climate and energy so difficult to sustain. And I didn't want to start doing advocacy dressed up as journalism because there's already so much of this out there and it's driving conversations in sometimes unhelpful ways. 
Um, and you know, the whole mainstream debate around energy and climate is it, it's too heated and it's too partisan. It's too closely linked to culture wars and identity politics. And this is what gets promoted by social algorithms because it's attention grabbing and divisive um, and it provokes a response from people. And so it can lead to commercial success if you kind of engage in that and swim in those circles, then, you know, you can you, you can probably be quite successful in terms of like growing an audience base. But I find the debates when it kind of it goes in that black and white direction, I, I, I find it quite unedifying and I don't really want to be a part of that. I figure that um, if I was to and also, like, if, if I was to do that, if I was to embrace one of these sort of demented extremes in the energy debate, then I'd be better off going and sort of taking a big salary at, you know, some think tank or trade association and just sort of like banging a line out because, you know, you, you, you're going to earn a better living by doing that. And, and, um, and that's not what I, that's not what I came in to, 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 to this to do i didn't i didn't like set myself up as an independent publisher to do that um i don't want to have a party line or do someone else's bidding i, I really value sort of like personal truth and expressing my own truth about how i see the world um and i think that when you think about how the energy debate has been hijacked by vested interests on both sides and how nuance is being systematically squeezed out of the conversation, then I, I see one thing very clearly, and that's taking a balanced view, you know, taking the middle ground, that's actually kind of a radical act. And, and, and doing it, it risks you being condemned as, you know, either a green extremist or a fossil fuel shill by these kind of online zealots who are easily offended by reality um but it's the, the thing is that the, the middle ground that that's exactly where most people sit when they contemplate some of these tricky trade-offs that are to, to be found um around things like fuel choices or like convenience sustainability personal economy um, climate change and, and social justice. Uh, I think what I want to do here is to, to kind of understand the complexities um, and, and grapple with the trade-offs at the heart of decarbonisation. Um, I, I think energy is just so incredibly fundamental to modern life and that weaning ourselves off of the fuels that brought humanity to where it is can never be a simple task with easy answers um, and, and and when there are no easy answers there's probably more value in asking questions than, than trying to answer them um, so that's kind of what drives me to write the energy flux newsletter and it's it's what i want to to do here as well um, on this podcast is perhaps answer ask more questions than answer them um, uh, but and that's kind of what's really one of the most interesting things about this platform is that you know it, it has this call-in facility um, you know, people can have their say um, and, and 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 I think when you think about satisfying 
one's intellectual curiosity around very complicated energy and climate matters, then this interactivity becomes really interesting because I'm not just talking about my own personal curiosity, but hopefully yours too. If you're interested in big questions around things like carbon border taxes or social justice in developing economies with unexploited fossil fuel reserves, um, or, uh, you know, and, and you know, the, the, the prospect that they can't develop those, um, or the, the potential that like, for, for, for big oil companies like pivoting into renewables won't be uh, as profitable as they might have their shareholders believe. You know, these, these are kind of really intractable problems that I, I want to, to explore a lot with, with, um, with listeners and with guest speakers here. So when I was been, like, giving a lot of thinking into what this podcast could be, um, then one thing that really caught my imagination is, like, again, this facility allowing ordinary people to talk to guest speakers. Um, that means, you know, kind of non-energy people um, speaking to energy experts and that this could facilitate that. Um, so whenever I step outside of my sort of energy bubble, by my, my world of, of energy news feeds and sources and contacts, and when I talk to, you know, friends and family, non-energy people about the topics I write about, then there a couple of things really strike me. One of them is just actually how kind of curious, genuinely curious and interested most people are in energy and climate matters. But the other thing is like how little people really understand about the energy industry, about energy markets, energy technologies and energy policy. And, and these are things that are all being formed almost in real time. Um, and they will have such profound effect upon everybody's lives. And yet there's very little uh, kind of widespread understanding of how they're developed and what they really mean. So I, I can explain basic aspects about these things to your average layperson. And I can really get into the weeds of natural gas, LNG, hydrogen, and power markets. But I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not this sort of all-knowing energy expert guru type of person. But I do know quite a lot of people who are highly expert in their field. And I know that a lot of really smart people read the Energy Flux newsletter, uh, many of whom I'm really hoping will, over time, end up listening to this pod and calling in. So I'm thinking that getting a mixture of calls from ordinary listeners and sector experts could be a really interesting value proposition, you know, imparting and receiving knowledge to improve understanding and awareness, and even like raising the overall level of debates around climate and energy. I figure this could be quite helpful for everybody involved in the podcast, um, people calling in, people listening, um, and me too. Uh, and, and who knows, maybe even, you know, could be a bit grandiose, but even for society at large, if it was to take off in a big way. So that's those are kind of my aspirations for, for, for doing this, what I think we could kind of achieve together um, by, by, by doing this. Um, in terms of the kind of more mundane aspects, so the, the format will be a, a weekly show, about half an hour or so, 
I don't want it to be too demanding on your time. Um, I'm tentatively targeting a broadcast uh, slot on Mondays in early evening at 5 p.m. London time. Uh, that way I can hopefully capture listeners across North America as well as here in Europe. And the format will, formats will be discussions around a few big energy news stories of the last week or so, particularly stories that I've been writing about in Energy Flux newsletter. Um, I might also spontaneously broadcast midweek episodes if a really massively significant news story breaks and I feel it'll be worth sharing this with listeners and gauging a few people's views and perspectives. So uh, yeah, to be sure to enable notifications on the call-in app so you can be alerted to new episodes when they start broadcasting, if you want to have the opportunity to call in, that is, and have your say. Uh, in any case, all episodes will be made available to listen in later at your leisure if you miss a live broadcast. And if you've had a poke around on the app, then you've probably seen that there are, um, yeah, there's everything's, everything's made available to listen to later. Some of the episodes will have limited or no call-in functionality uh, because um, sometimes only premium subscribers to the Energy Flux newsletter will be able to call in. The idea is that will be one of the perks of premium membership. Um, for example, you know, if I get a really high-profile guest on the show who lots of people might want to pose questions to, then I would naturally want to restrict that to paying subscribers. But, you know, keeping in mind this objective of having a kind of lively public discourse, um, I'll definitely have regular public sessions too. And for these, I'll send out a link to everyone on the free email list for Energy Flux. So all you need to do is head on over to www.energyflux.news, punch in your email address, and then I'll, you'll, you'll receive special links for calling into each show ahead of time. So I've been rambling on, uh, I've covered a lot of ground, and um, that's probably all that people want to hear for, for now. I'll just have a little check on the listeners and see if there's anybody that wants to call in. Otherwise, I'll probably call it a day. And this being the first one, and me having not really publicized it at all, uh, there's not a lot of people around. So I'm probably going to hang things up. But thank you for listening and um, hopefully see you on the next episode.